Good morning. What a beautiful morning. The scripture today is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31, and that can be found in uh, page 924 in the Pew Bibles. Christ crucified is God's power and wisdom. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the whole the world, through its wisdom, did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Thank you, Eleanor. Okay, we are going to make sense of what was just read, I promise you. And if I don't, then come talk to me after the service. <laughs> Do you know what an oxymoron is? It's a, a phrase where two words are put together that seem to have opposite meanings. Here are some of my favorites. Minor crisis. Icy hot. Open secret. Pretty ugly. True lies. You know, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Original copy. Definite maybe. Fresh frozen. Amtrak schedule. <laughs> if you've ever ridden on Amtrak, you know why that's an oxymoron. Virtual reality. And last but not least, jumbo shrimp. <laughs> Did you know that in God's wisdom, there is an oxymoron smack dab at the heart of the Christian message. That oxymoron is this. Jesus is the crucified Messiah. The crucified Messiah. Because Messiah means something like 
Well, it means anointed one, think like the chosen one or the savior. And crucified means someone who is executed on a cross. Those two concepts did not go together when the gospel first went out. And it's a little ironic that today the cross has become this symbol, this sort of nice religious symbol that we wear around our necks or put on a tattoo on our arms or on our truck, you know, to, be, you know, to help us, you know, be centered or some people use it as a good luck charm. But in Jesus' day, the cross was anything but a religious symbol. It was the ultimate symbol of humiliation, failure, and pain, and death. And no one could imagine how Messiah and crucified could be in the same sentence, let alone be the message that was preached about Jesus. We forget how upside down the message of the cross is. You know, something similar in American history might be like a rope used for a lynching. Can you imagine if people wore necklaces with little gold hangman's nooses on them? Or if we sang songs about our lynched Lord? That's what it sounded like when people were preaching the crucified Messiah. It's like, what, what are these people smoking? Crucified Messiah? That doesn't make sense. Now, the people that the Apostle Paul was writing to in this letter of, called 1 Corinthians, they had forgotten how central that message was of the crucified Messiah. Uh, they were a church where people prided themselves on being wise and spiritual and kind of one-upping each other on their religious experiences. And uh, people flocked to articulate, dazzling speakers but Paul says, never forget that the only thing we have to offer people is a message that sounds foolish to the world. The message of the crucified Messiah. That's a message that nobody starting, trying to start a religion would ever make up. It sounds insane, but this is exactly how God wants it. Because it does two things. It disgusts the proud, and it delights the humble. That's what the gospel does. This message of the crucified Messiah, some people turn their noses up at it and say, oh, I, that can't be true. And the people who get it say, God, you are so amazing. I never could have imagined how you, saved, how you would save us. Look at verse 18. And if you don't have your Bibles open, I'd, I'd urge you to do so. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we need to listen to what God is saying to us today through this Holy Scripture and ask two questions. Why does the message of the cross seem foolish to some? And how can we be people who know its power? Let's pause to pray before we launch in. Lord, we need you to be our teacher. 
I know that the words I've written are, um, are nothing unless you breathe your power into them. And I pray that they would only illuminate the truth that is already here and that you would be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. So number one, why does the cross seem foolish to some people? Well, it flies in the face of human wisdom. And that's exactly how God wanted it to be. Look at verse 19. Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years earlier where God had said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. I like how Eugene Peterson, who paraphrased this in the Message Bible, puts it. He says, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as shams. No religious expert predicted a crucified Messiah. No philosopher reasoned his way to that conclusion. And here's why. Jews in Jesus' day were living under Roman occupation, and they were waiting for their Messiah to come charging in on a white stallion and conquer the Romans and drive them out and establish the kingdom of God on earth where, the, where Israel would once again have power and have prestige and have safety. That's what they were thinking of with Messiah, power, nobility, strength. Now put that together with crucified. Crucifixion was the cruelest, most inhumane, most stomach-turning death sentence possible. And the Romans perfected it to be that way. The victim would first be flogged with a lead-tipped whip, opening up gashes all over their back and their body. And then his arms would be stretched out on a beam and nails driven through the wrists. The beam was put on a, an upright post where the victim's feet would be nailed to the post. And so they're, they're up there, all of their weight pulling against the most painful parts of their body. Sometimes they would take days to die in the heat, in the sun, thirsty, helpless, covered in blood. It was the most painful way people had come up with to kill someone. Now, aren't there... Um, why, why go to all that trouble to execute someone? <laughs> Surely there are lots of easier ways to do it, you know? The whole point was that it was the most shaming, humiliating death possible. It sent a message. It was the ultimate symbol of defeat. And the Romans reserved the right. They were the only ones in their empire allowed to crucify. I mean, other groups couldn't do it. Only they could do it, and it was only for the worst criminals and for enemies of the state. So here's a famous example. Uh, several generations before Christ. Have you heard of Spartacus? He was a slave that led a revolt where like 100,000 slaves rose up and tried to be free. Well, it took a long time for the Romans to crush this result, re revolt. When they finally did the general who defeated them took 6,000 of those defeated slaves and crucified them for 120 miles along the road in and out of Rome. Imagine driving from here to Glens Falls, New York, 
and every hundred feet seeing someone on a cross covered in blood, flies circling, crows pecking in various states of death and life. That sent the message, this is what happens when you mess with the power of Rome. You are nothing. You are human garbage. That's what the cross meant. So when people were preaching, our Messiah has come and he's been crucified. There was confusion. There was, there was shock. It sounded foolish. It was an oxymoron. You know, Jesus, not only did he die, not only did he not overthrow the Romans, he was killed by them. He didn't go out in a blaze of glory. He went out in shame and humiliation. What kind of Messiah would do that? It didn't fit with what anyone expected. And that's exactly how God wanted it. The other day I was listening to a memoir by a woman named Beth Moore, who's a well-known Bible teacher, and she said something that made me reach for my phone and pause and have to write this down. She said, God appears to be robustly committed to disproving human formulas. That's what the cross does. Paul goes on in verse 20, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The world's wisdom, both religious and secular, says that we can figure things out. We can uh, reason our way to God, or we can do religious things to make ourselves right with God. Uh, we can use money or status or whatever to rise up and to, to achieve what we need. And the cross shows that all of that conventional wisdom is garbage. It's bankrupt. We can't do anything to figure out God and how to get to know him and how to be saved. God says, you can't get to me with a reason or with your status, or with your uh, wisdom. You need radical divine intervention. You need the blood of my son to forgive your sin. And it's almost as if God delighted, delighted in doing that in a way that no one ever expected or predicted, so no one could say, yeah, I had that figured out. <laughs> I knew that's how God was going to do it. You know, this is still true today. The experts, the pundits, the best-selling authors, the people that we look to for wisdom and, and great teaching in this world, those that draw the biggest crowds do not have room for a crucified Messiah in their message. Anything but. There's how to make money, how to manifest your dreams, how to be successful, how to... Um, how to commune with the divine, how to be a good person. Crucified Messiah? No. Because it's foolish. It's offensive. Listen to what Paul says in verse 20, verses 22 to 24. Jews demand signs. Okay, Jews were very religious and they wanted God to show up in a supernatural sign. And the cross was not that to them. 
Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom. They loved the esoteric teachers and philosophers and, and ideas. That's what they were impressed by. And the cross was anything but that. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. A stumbling block means offense, scandal, something they would trip over, and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is so different than ours, and that is pleasing to him, as he says in verse 21, Since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So how can we be in that second group, those who are being saved for whom the cross is the power of God? Paul answers that question in verses 26 through 29. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called, when they became Christians, in other words. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. That's, that's the, the point. So that he did all this and he used a crucified Messiah, an oxymoron, a laughable thing so that no one may boast before him. The message of the cross lowers the bar for who can get in, who can get to God, who can be saved, who can know God. And that does two things. It, it makes the, the nobodies of the world important. It gives them a place in God's kingdom. Paul reminds his readers, most of them were not wealthy, important, you know, scholars, Excuse me. They heard that Jesus, the Messiah, was crucified to take the punishment of their sin and that by trusting in him, they could be forgiven. They could have eternal life. Anyone can understand that. You don't have to have a college degree. You don't even have to know how to read. A child can understand the message of the cross. It is so embarrassingly simple right? But when the bar is that low, a second thing happens. Old people can only come if they're willing to stoop down under the bar, if they're willing to humble themselves and say, Lord, I, I can't figure it out. My wisdom means nothing. My status means nothing. My knowledge, my goodness, all of those things are empty. The only way to know the power of God at the cross is to humble yourself and boast in the Lord. Look at what he says in verses 30 to 31. 
It is because of him, that is God, God's work, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. People who humble themselves, you know, there are those who can't humble themselves who say, well, I, I don't believe that, that God would would ever do that. Or I don't believe that I'm that bad that I needed Jesus to die for me. Or uh, that doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't fit what I was expecting. Pride keeps them out. Those, those who are willing to humble themselves and say, they say, wow, God, you're amazing. I never could have dreamed of such a plan, right? All the credit goes to you. That's what it means to boast in the Lord, to come with empty hands and say, Lord, you have done an amazing work to save me. I didn't do anything to save myself. I didn't think my way there. I didn't, I didn't um, do good works my way there. I didn't, I, I didn't learn my way into the kingdom. Jesus saved me. They gladly repent of their sins. They gladly lay down their pride and for them, the message of the cross is power because Paul says it, Jesus becomes our righteousness, which means we're made right with God, our holiness, which means he changes our character, power to change us, and our redemption, which means he has taken us from death and brought us into life. All the things that human wisdom thinks it can do but can't, the cross can do. That's how we know its power. So, do you know the power of the cross? Do you know the power of Christ? Some of you um, may have been confused about the cross for years or whatever. Maybe it never quite made sense to you. For some of you, um, maybe you believe that it happened and you you know it's part of the story, but it's just one part of the Bible, and, you know, it's too bad we have to talk about this thing that's so gruesome and ugly. Why can't we just focus on the nice parts of the Bible and the good teachings about love and, and about being a good person? But <laughs> the message of the cross is the center of the Bible. If you lose that, we have nothing left. That is where the power of God is shown in our lives. Do you know that power? Let me close with a story. Um, my wife, Meg, grew up in a small church in New York, and as she remem remembers it, um, the cross never really made sense to her as a, as a kid growing up. Uh, in Sunday school, they talked a lot about different Bible stories, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, Moses, uh, Noah in the ark. Maybe maybe Jesus on the cross one time a year at Easter. Um, but it was just another story among many in the Bible. She eagerly believed what she was taught. As she grew up, she went to youth groups. She read her Bible. She tried to please God. She tried to be a good person. And God, God was at work in her. But she got through high school without really uh, w with the cross being a riddle that she hadn't figured out. 
Well, somewhere during her first year of college, two things happened, began to happen. First, uh, she went on a summer mission trip with a group of college students and did some intensive Bible studies with them, looking at passages kind of like this one that talk about what happened on the cross. Why did Jesus die for us? Why did he have to die for us? What is sin? How can we be made right with God? And at the same time, life was humbling her. because She had grown up as a big fish in a small pond in a small town in New York. And she got to college where she was a, an average fish in a very big pond with a lot of very smart people. And she dealt with some uh, personal struggles that really, um, really made her feel at her wit's end. And so as the cross was coming into focus, her sin, her need, her weakness was also coming into focus. And that's when she began to, as Paul says, boast in the Lord. Instead of thinking, I'm a pretty good person. Thank you, God, that I'm such a good person. She started thinking, thank you, Jesus, that you were such a good Savior. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you did it in a way I never could have expected. You see, we need a crucified Savior. The cross shows us how desperately we need forgiveness and rescue from death, and it also shows us how unfathomable God's love is for us. Jesus, the Bible says, God was in Christ on that cross, reconciling the world to himself. That means when we see Jesus dying on the cross in humiliation and defeat, we are seeing the reality that God himself dies for his enemies. That's how much he loves us. He died to redeem us. And so have you understood that? Do you count on your own wisdom, your own intelligence, your own smarts, your own power, your own resume, your own religious activities? Or do you say, Jesus, none of that matters. All that matters is you died for me and you love me. And that's my boast. That's the best news I've ever heard. That's what I'm going to live my life on and talk about for the rest of my life. Amen.